Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our church ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. There also you can learn about the ministry that we're taking around the world through Church Partnership Evangelism. Remember that Jesus' great commission to the church was to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. There are many great works the church can be engaged in, but the work of making disciples and planting churches is central and strategic to our calling. For this reason, I want to encourage you to go to our ministry website, www.traincpe.org, and consider giving to the Ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism. And now to God's Word. Most of us are familiar with the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It actually has seven stanzas, and each one of them calls upon a different name for the Messiah. It is a hymn based upon a series of short songs that were sung by the early church, employing these same names to petition the Savior for blessing and to signal to Him the church's submitted worship. These songs were called antiphons. And today we begin a series into the antiphons of the early church. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Over the next seven weeks, actually, we're going to do a little series. Early in the church, there were a series of short little hymns or chants that were developed called antiphones. And each hymn began with the name of the Messiah. Each hymn then underscored something of a work that God did through the Messiah. And finally, each one of the hymns responded with some kind of prayer to appropriate that truth and apply it to the life of the individual who was singing that song. There were seven of these hymns. They were called antiphones. They're put together in the song that we sing at Christmas time, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. They're called the O antiphones or the great antiphones. All seven of these are found for the first time around the 8th century in the life of the church, but it's very likely, and most people believe, that these antiphones, these hymns, were developed very early in the life of the church. And so what we're going to do, we're going to be learning these antiphones and the meaning of these antiphones through the next seven Sundays. The other thing I should say is that these antiphones were applied or exercised in the church, particularly during the Advent season, to prepare the individuals and the church for the celebration of the Advent. And one of the things you'll begin to realize as you look through this is that the early church did not differentiate between the worship and the anticipation that gathered around the celebration of the first coming of the Messiah, coming as a babe to be born unto sacrifice, and the second coming of the Messiah, coming to reign and rule as king. And so as we go through these different antiphones, and as we look at the title that's been given for the Messiah, and the work that the Messiah does, and our response to the work, as we do this in preparation as a part of the Advent season, I would encourage you to have this perspective that allows God to build within you an anticipation, a longing, a perspective looking for the second coming of the Messiah as he's coming to reign and rule as king. In fact, if you take the different titles that are given for the Messiah here and think about this, originally they're given in Latin. 
And so there were seven different titles that are given in Latin. They form an acrostic that's to be read backward, and this they did intentionally. And when you read it backwards, that acrostic says, I am coming soon, or tomorrow I come. Today we're going to look at the first antiphone, which is a song to the Messiah as wisdom. Oh, wisdom. In fact, the words to the original hymn would sound something like this. O wisdom that proceedest from the mouth of the Most High, reaching from end to end mightily, disposing all things sweetly, come and teach us the way unto thyself. When we sing O come, O come, Emmanuel, we sing it this way. O come, O wisdom from on high, who ordered all things mightily, to us the path of knowledge show, and teach us in its way to go. So we'll look first at this idea of the Messiah as wisdom. And that the Messiah is given the name wisdom is apparent to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, where Christ, the Christ, that is the Greek word for Messiah, is said to be the wisdom of God. We also can read about this inauguration or this expression of the Messiah as wisdom in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Let me read those to you. There we read, the Messiah is speaking. You'll remember that the Lord Jesus pronounced these words when he read for the first time the scriptures in his own hometown. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of of his ears. When Paul refers to the Lord Jesus as the wisdom of God, he is actually presenting to us the Lord Jesus as the very being of God. When we think of God's attributes, we have to understand that God does not hold his attributes as if they are something external from himself, as if they exist external from himself, as something that is held outside of himself. But when we think of the attributes of God, we think of something that exists internally infinitely forever resting in the internal infinite one and so when Paul speaks of Christ as the wisdom of God and as the power of God he is speaking of Jesus Christ as God as the all-wise all-powerful God I want to give you a definition for God's wisdom in action so we would know how to understand and recognize it and here's what we would say is the wisdom of God it is the power of God or the ability of God to plan and take his creation to the highest goal and to do so through the best possible path. Now, that's how we experience God's wisdom. That's how we know God's wisdom. It's God's ability to plan for us and for his creation the highest goal and to bring us to that highest goal through the best possible path. And the goal that God has for his creation is this, to grant to us the maximal experience of his glory and his goodness. That's God's plan. That's God's design. Is to grant to his creation the maximal expression and experience of his glory and his goodness. And so that's how we encounter the wisdom of God. That's how we will know and encounter and experience the wisdom of God as God brings us into the fullest expression of his glory and the fullest expression of his goodness and we'll see that God did it in the perfect and the best possible way and we'll say at the end of all things, the judge of all the earth has done right. 
He's done what is good. He's done what is proper. He's served us well. That's our experiences of it. But this is a bit of a challenge when you speak of any attribute of God. Because we can understand the attribute on the basis of how we will experience it, and how we will encounter it, but there's something beyond that. There's the wisdom of God that is expressed by God himself in his own infinity, in his own eternity, that we'll never, ever be able to grasp or understand or fathom how it is that the wisdom of God is interplayed in his own delight in himself, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit throughout all eternity, echoing back and forth to one another, the deep expressions of his wisdom will not be able to totally or ever fully comprehend that or peer into it. I would believe that what we experience of the wisdom of God in our life, of the glory of God, of the maximal goodness of God, is the overflow of the delight that God has infinitely and eternally expressed as God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, it pours out in some small measure upon us and we experience it in our lives. For us as creatures, the first view that we are given of the wisdom of God is in his creative order and the expression that he gave in creating all things. So John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 gives us a vantage point of that moment of creation and how wisdom is expressed. And there wisdom is expressed as the word, the word. There we read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Let's look at another passage that refers to this moment in terms of wisdom. Go to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 is an interesting passage. There, wisdom is spoken of metaphorically. There are parts of it, though, as we read it, resonate with, and we come away thinking that wisdom has to be something more than just a concept or an attribute or an expression of God, but has to be rooted in God himself, because here, wisdom is personified. And I think we'll see that if we were to study this passage, we'll see that Christ is the wonderful and complete expression and fulfillment of that wisdom which is spoken of here in Proverbs chapter 8. In fact, on a different occasion, the Lord Jesus is criticized. He's criticized along with John the Baptist, and the people are basically seeking from the Lord Jesus to express himself to them according to their own designs and their own ideas and their own concepts. And the Lord Jesus says, you know, John the Baptist came, and you criticized him for the way he dressed and that he was this recluse. And then I've come, and you've said, I'm a wine-bibber and a drunkard. And he says, it's, you're like children who are basically saying, we played the pipe and you didn't dance for us. You think you're setting the tune for us, and you're telling me what I'm supposed to do. But he says that wisdom is justified by her deeds. And in that passage, the Lord Jesus is juxtaposing himself and who he is as Messiah with wisdom who is justified by her deeds. And he's referring back to Proverbs chapter 8 and he's saying it's analogous to me. I'm justified by my deeds and what you see in me. Now here's what we read in verses 27 and 31 of Proverbs chapter 8. And here you have this portrait or this image of wisdom expressed in creation. And when he established the heavens, I was there. And when he drew the circle on the face of the deep, and when he made firm the skies above, 
when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. And wisdom was there, and wisdom was giving shape, and wisdom was the word that was with God in the beginning and was God, bringing all things into creation. And now Paul will end his letter to the Romans. The last thing Paul says is he gives an honorific to God himself. He says, to God, who is alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. He says God is alone wise, or we might know it as God only wise. We just sang that in the songs that we sang this morning. We refer to that phrase, God only wise. What we understand there is that all things that may be identified as true wisdom are but expressions or they are but the reflection of the wisdom that God himself, the only wise God, has cast upon the earth. Anything that might be considered wisdom is drawn from God himself and God alone. God alone is wise is what the Bible tells us. What wisdom we find in life, that which we see expressed throughout creation. When you see a little mud dauber building its nest, when you see squirrels out here before the winter gathering their nuts, when you see parents passing on wisdom and instruction to their children, what you're seeing is a reflection of the uncreated wisdom of God that is being diffused into His creation by His decrees. Thank you for joining us at the Bread of Life, where we gather to feast on God's Word. If these messages are feeding your soul, let us know. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to contact us with a message of encouragement. Until the next time, may God bless you.